Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Welcome to Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm your host, Lou Ann Anderson, and today we are going to talk about the United States and also Texas. Are we ready to open for business or should we slow it down a bit? Before we get into that, let me just remind you that Political Pursuits is on Facebook at, P, at Political P Suits. Same for Twitter. Our handle is at Political P Suits. Got a question? Got a comment? please email me, politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. Also, with regard to listening to this podcast, know that we are available on most of the popular platforms, which includes Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, along with Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Deezer. Now, the corona pandemic has three major battlefronts, public health, economic, and media. Whatever his flaws, President Trump understands that all three battles must be waged. The virus must be fought so that it can't overwhelm our hospitals. The economic collapse must be fought lest we have the cure be worse than the disease, which is something that the president is known for for saying. And the media, they're currently parroting the communist Chinese government propaganda. They every afternoon show themselves to be nothing more than cartoon figures during these White House briefings, and they show opposition to any discussion of a measured, reasonable exit strategy. So these are the fronts on which we're going to have to be dealing with and we're going to have to be considering as we get ready and move forward for this lockdown. People in Washington have an opinion. People across in Austin here in Texas, as well as across our state, our different states, they all have opinions. But ultimately, I think it's the Americans, the American people, you know, those tax-paying, hard-working people who have been, like, hanging out pretty close to home, trying to do the right thing for the most part in mitigating this virus. Those are the people who really are going to start deciding when it's time to venture out. Every morning, the media decides whether today is the day where President Trump is insufficiently using his abilities to fix everything with the wave of a pen instead of letting the nation's governors make decisions regarding lockdowns. That's one choice the media ponders every day. The other is whether he is a crazed authoritarian dangerously insisting that his power is total as regards to the reopening of the economy, overwhelming those smart local governors who know what's what. This is the media that we're having to deal with. This is unfortunately where too many people are getting their information, and it is as jaded as anything you're ever going to find. It can be a fun little game kind of watching 
where where the media is going to go with this, but it does also get a little tiresome. Trump has his I can do whatever I want persona, and he likes to pretend that's the case. But when it really push comes to shove, he knows that it would be politically untenable for states to stay closed after the White House announces that things are back open. He knows that states are going to have to accommodate their own specific conditions and their own challenges, their own obstacles, their own, their own advantages. That they're the people who are going to best be able to make the decisions on that. As a legal matter, Trump does not have the power to order states to do things or to overrule their governments, governors on the matter without provoking a major legal fight. But all of this talk about whose authority must be respected leaves out the practicality that's at play here, and that is that the American people will decide when the economy is reopened. Until their fears fade, you can't just flip a switch and you can't make them go out and eat or go and buy luxury goods. Just because the Trump administration gives the word that individuals and businesses can reopen, it doesn't mean that most or even any of them will do so. Now, there are governors in the Northeast and the West Coast, a bunch of liberal governors in each, in each case. They're banding together on this matter to look at determining their benchmarks and reopening plans. Frankly, I think that's a good idea. I probably wouldn't agree with them much on some of the points that they are looking to incorporate, which we'll talk about Gavin Newsom here in just a, just a couple of minutes. But the fact that they do have that constitutional authority to do that, approaching it from a regionality standpoint makes certain sense. And um, as a political matter, isn't it kind of better to be able to have the opportunity to spread the credit and the blame around to a number of different people. Trump has spoken numerous times saying that this is going to be one of the hardest decisions of his administration. I don't doubt that, but the truth of the matter is it's not his sole decision to make, and he should be gratified that that is the case. Because, yes, states are going to have to make their own decisions. And as in anything else in human nature, some of them are going to do a good job, some of them not so. And like I said, let's give credit or blame, give it its due as is warranted. The idea that this process can be reversed overnight gives far too much credit to politicians as the drivers of economic activity. If Americans don't feel confident that they are safe to conduct commerce, their activity will be altered significantly, particularly as it relates to places viewed as high risk and in response to new and inevitable spikes that were going to be occurring post-reopening. On the other hand, those who desperately want to reopen and exchange in goods and services will do so in spite of any regulatory burden that's not delivered at the end of a gun. Just go to any mid-sized neighborhood and you'll see the number of small businesses that are very quietly reopening, despite not offering an, event, an essential service. And those numbers, they are growing every day. They are testing the limits of the willingness of police to shut them down. And really, unless they end up going viral, cops are generally looking the other way. Certainly in the larger cities that, uh, in which more compressed living a New York City, perhaps, maybe a Chicago, parts of L.A., uh, police power can keep, 
keep communities and keep people a little more shut in. But when you get into suburbia, when you get um, outside the, the city limits, keeping people corralled is just, is just impossible. Businesses, as we said, they are quietly reopening. Churches, well, they may not be having their full congregations get together, but it's funny how you leave a door unlocked at a church facility and somehow a group of people may happen to wander in and get together. What we're seeing is that there are true communities within our nation, divided as it is, and that they all are still finding ways to come together during this time. Governments and policymakers often operate with the illusion of total control. They assume something generally true in normal times that becomes less true here in our abnormal times, and that is that because an order is given, the people will abide by it. Yes, sometimes that is the case. Many people will, but many others won't, and that number will increase steadily as citizens and communities test the limits of what they are about, what they're able to do. That is as it should be in a republic marked historically by a remarkable lack of docility and an eagerness to live free, to talk free, to go and come, to buy and sell, be drunk or sober, however they choose. And we're going to be seeing more and more of this, but interestingly also as we see more pushback, we're also seeing more governments do some crazy things. Mayors and governors seem to think their authority is limitless in the face of this pandemic. They probably need maybe like a remedial uh, course in the Constitution. There's nothing like a crisis to bring clarity. John Daniel Davidson at The Federalist writes this, The response of some mayors and governors to the coronavirus pandemic in recent days has made it clear they think they have unlimited and arbitrary power over their fellow citizens, that they can order them to do or not do just about anything under the guise of protecting public health. We've seen it now in local and state governments. They've issued decrees about what people can and cannot buy in stores, arrest parents playing with their children in public parks, yank people off public buses at random, remove basketball rims along with private property, ticket churchgoers, and in one case, try and fail to chase down a lone runner on an empty beach. All of this, we're told, remember, is for our own good. There's been a lot of complaints that people are targeting Christians. We've seen that in Louisville. We saw that in Greenville, Mississippi, where police showed up and ordered churchgoers to leave or face a $500 fine. The Department of Justice has thankfully taken notice of this authoritarianism that's going on amongst some of our mayors and governors. And a DOJ spokesman said this past Saturday, Attorney General William Barr is monitoring government regulation of religious service services and may take action against local governments as early as this week, which he certainly has come out since then with some other strong statements, and we'll see what, what happens. Michigan has been just the, oh, the take-the-cake state when it comes to this. Governor Gretchen Whitmer, an aspiring VP candidate, has taken it upon herself to declare what items are and are not essential, dictating to grocery stores what they can and cannot sell as part of a sweeping order. Among the non-essential and therefore banned items are fruit and vegetable plants and seeds. Never mind that growing fruits and vegetables at home right now would help maintain social distancing during the pandemic. Never mind that if there were a problem with our food supply, it would help people to become more self-sufficient. 
Nonetheless, the governor has spoken and her word is, word is law. Beyond the fruit and vegetable ban, it gets crazier. The governor's order is an object lesson in the absurdity and inconsistency of arbitrary power and rule by fiat. Michiganders are banned from traveling between residences if they own a cottage or a summer home. But the ban, get this, only applies to Michigan residents. So an out-of-stater with a cottage in the Upper Peninsula could presumably still visit. The ban also still allows travel between states. So if a Michigander has a cottage in Wisconsin or Ohio, he can travel without fear of being arrested or fined by the state police. Why did Whitmer tailor her order this way? Probably because she knows she has no authority to ban travel between states or issue orders to Americans generally. No more than a mayor has the authority to shut down drive-in Easter services in his city. That these officials need to be reminded of that, and in some cases restrained by federal judges, bodes very ill for America. Now more than ever, we need leaders who, just, who don't just care about protecting us from the pandemic, but who also care about preserving liberty in a time of crisis. And yesterday, Governor Whitmer had a influx of people come, of Michiganders come to Lansing and remind her of that when they staged. There were thousands of protesters that showed up. Some of them stayed in their cars and were honking and just making their their presence known there. Others were actually out of the cars. But I think it was a message delivered. We don't know that it will have any real effect. But nonetheless, it is a message delivered. And the the situations, the protests there, some we've seen in North Carolina. We're going to start seeing those pop up all over all over the country, and certainly I would expect Texas to be having something like that in the next week or so. I mentioned earlier that the West Coast governors have also banned together that they want to um, go through and pool their resources, so to speak, so that California... Washington State and Oregon can get back to going. And certainly there is some commonality between those three states, but California also is kind of an entity um, unto itself. And California Governor Gavin Newsom gave an update uh, just recently to his plan for reopening the government. He unveiled a six-point proposal for getting the Golden State back on the road to economic reopening. His favorite phrase Meet the Moment enjoyed several iterations on Tuesday when he had a presser and unveiled his things. He said, I hope all of us are sobered by the reality of the moment, but left with a little optimism that this is not a permanent state. You've met this moment in a remarkable way for us to present a roadmap, but is all conditioned on us staying the course, staying at home, and continuing to practice appropriate social distancing. In other words, it's all contingent upon you're still doing what we say when we say and how we say it kira davis in a piece talks about that his plan is unsurprisingly creepy and totalitarian with a dash of ignorance thrown in for good measure here are the points to it number one the ability to monitor and protect communities through testing tracking positive cases properly isolate and support individuals who are positive and or exposed to COVID-19. Davis says, let's think this through. The state of California has released hardened criminals from prison over coronavirus fears. It's declared itself a sanctuary state that refuses to track, report, or deport illegal aliens. 
even those wanted for heinous crimes. It has denied law enforcement the ability to arrest vagrants for health violations like open drug use and public defecation. It won't allow business owners to clear homeless encampments from their properties and now has outlawed independent contracting as of January 1st. This is California. But if you are a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, peacefully just trying to earn and move about freely, you will be monitored, tracked, and traced by the state, not the homeless people, not the felons they just released into the street, not the illegal aliens. No, you, you the taxpayer, you're the dangerous one. Second point in Newsom's plan, the ability to prevent infection in high-risk groups, including older residents, homeless, and those with underlying health conditions. How does a government just exactly stop a virus? I'm not sure it doesn't. You stop people. Notice how vague this point is. Think about what it would mean to have the ability to prevent infection in high-risk groups. That requires some serious policing. And again, policing that would be enforced on law-abiding, peaceful taxpayers, but not on those currently breaking the laws of this state. The ability for hospitals and healthcare systems to handle a potential surge in cases through adequate staffing, hospital beds, and supplies including ventilators, masks, and other personal protective equipment. California just sent 500 ventilators out of the state to other states in need. Is Newsom working to shore up this point, or is he just pulling words out of his pie hole? Davis says California dismantled their state of hospital readiness all the way back in 2011. Again, another example of the state asking people to make sacrifices for their own incompetence. And when we talk about this incompetence and talk about how they're going to be monitoring these groups of respectable citizens and that they're going to be looking to limit their ability to infect in high-risk groups and everything, it's interesting at how quiet things have gone on L.A., Seattle's, their homeless populations. Why, when this virus is... Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company. The only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. affecting every other group of people, why would we not think, especially based on lifestyle and based on health situations, why would we not think it isn't rampantly moving through the homeless communities in these major cities? I would submit that it probably is, but if it does, maybe those city fathers are also looking at it as a solution to a problem. 
I'll just leave that one there and you can give that some thought. Fourth point of Newsom's plan is the ability to develop therapeutics to meet the demand. So we're not getting out of our homes until a vaccine or 100% effective treatment has been developed. How long can California claim the mantle of the world's fifth largest economy if everything that drives this economy, sports, the entertainment industry, art, Silicon Valley, is shut down? What happens to Hollywood when they realize they can't film in the state for the next six months, but South Dakota's open for business? Do they stay in L.A. or simply take their dollars to a free state and set up a new mecca? These are the things that Newsom needs to be considering. The ability, number five, the ability of businesses, schools, and child care facilities to support physical distancing guidelines, as well as provide supplies and equipment to workforces and customers to keep them safe from illness. Newsom says that offices and retail spaces are going to need to design, redesign. Restaurants will have to have half the tables and chairs. This is a man who's never missed a paycheck or had to struggle to make a payroll, saying that he and a handful of other bureaucrats intend to redesign the entire California economy and do it in a way that's going to just add to the already overburdened business owners that are trying to make a living. Last point, Newsom is developing guidelines to determine when to reinstate certain measures, such as a safer-at-home guideline, if necessary, based on relevant data. Those would kind of seem to be fancy words, something that a consultant was paid a ridiculous, unnecessarily amount of money for saying, we'll always have the last word. Newsom admits that social distancing has drastically changed the trend of, vir of the virus in California. As we've seen nationally, the models are changing day to day. There's no way to gauge where California will be a week or a month from now. Newsom has also admitted that he sees the pandemic as an opportunity to enter a new phase of progressive governing. Put that together with his creepy overreaching list of dictate, dictates for a free population to resume their freedoms, and it's enough to make your hair stand on end. So that's what's up in California. Meanwhile, what's happening in Texas? Well, that remains to be seen. Governor Abbott's supposed to be having his own plan that he's going to roll out here tomorrow. Meanwhile, the president is going to have his reopening news conference at 4 p.m., today central time i'm sorry 5 p.m today central time so i'm sure abbott will be drawing a lot of guidance from what the president says and in fact that's kind of one of the criticisms being lodged at the governor right now we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to get into texas and its challenges and its need for reopening and talk about some specific things that are being proposed there this is Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson. Look forward to seeing you on the other side. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters.
welcome back. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson, your host, and so happy that you're here for our second segment today. Before we get started, let me remind you that Political Pursuits can be found on Facebook at Political P Suits. We post a lot of the articles that we reference in the different episodes, so you might enjoy taking a look at that. On Twitter, we are the handle at Political P Suits as well. Additionally, on email, Drop me a line if you got something on your mind, politicalpursuitspod at gmail.com. We also are on uh, most of the popular platforms, podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google. Additionally, you can find us on Podchaser, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Deezer. I'm going to talk a little Texas right now, but before we do that, I did want to tell you just about some of the other things when we talk about these draconian measures that are being instituted across the country. Just yesterday, Andrew Cuomo came out and said that uh, wearing face masks is no longer just a recommendation from the CDC. There's a lot of people that are now mandating that they be, be worn, including Cuomo, who said yesterday that all New Yorkers must wear face coverings when social distancing is not possible. That's included on public transport, which I actually think is quite a good idea, stores and on crowded sidewalks. Pennsylvania businesses have been instructed to deny entry to customers who aren't wearing them. That's a step up. And then there's areas like in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, that they're not just ordering people to wear masks to public businesses, but they are threatening fines of $5,000 and up to 18 months in jail for violations of this. Now, fines, jail times, come on, is that not a little bit extreme? But at the same time, and it's unfortunate that you have that kind of extremity thrown in there because on the flip side of things, the idea of asking Americans to wear face masks now, especially like going to places like a grocery store where we do have cases, significant cases of employees being exposed and coming down with the virus, that's not too much to ask. But I think that states need to measure their reactions to this and, and, not just go over the top. Abbott, as I told you before, he's going to announce a plan to reopen Texas on Friday. It will include conservative measures so we don't spread the virus while trying to bridge from now to the summer when the therapeutic drugs should hopefully be ready. Meanwhile, the governor is not uh, being hailed very, very happily by um, a number of other people on the right. Former State Senator Don Huffines wrote a, a piece that he said, it's time to face the facts. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has not been a leader in coronavirus crisis. He has relinquished his responsibilities to local governments and, in his words, acknowledged he is looking to Washington for guidance. This is a very disappointing and un-Texan response. He goes on, Texans, they're independent, they're self-motivated, they're individualists. Yet the decisions made by the Texas governor have led to further economic damage as a disproportionate response to the fact that as of April 14th, get this, April 14th, two days ago, 318 people have died out of 29 million Texas residents. This represents point zero 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 zero. 109% as a fatality rate. Get that 300 people out of 29 million 
it is 0.0000109% as a fatality rate. Meanwhile, the governor has effectively shut down the 10th largest economy in the world by not standing up to local leaders who are usurping its authority. Here we're talking about uh, Liberal County Judge Clay Akins and Glenn Whitney. They're from Dallas and Tarrant County, respectively, along with Democratic mayors Sylvester Turner out of Houston and Ron Nirenberg from San Antonio. Huffine says that Abbott has been more concerned with political correctness than confronting this power grab. Plus, he's joined in lockstep with the parade of emotional decision makers in Washington who have caused massive economic damage. Texas is a sovereign state where the governor holds ultimate sway. Abbott has had the chance of a lifetime to step in as a leader in the middle of a massive crisis and approach this threat with logic and reason. Other governors and states Arkansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, they've taken the approach of empowering citizens with facts while allowing everyone to be personally responsible for what works for their individual health. Sweden was another example of taking a logic approach, not only the effectiveness, but also the legality of a total lockdown. What has been proven is that economic shutdown creates irreversible shockwaves felt for generations. Mental and physical health repercussions of record unemployment and government dependency must also be considered. Texas leaders have got to ask the hard questions and lead their citizens in a path based on facts, not emotion. Abbott, Huffines contends, began by deferring to local governments to do whatever they wanted. The overstep by Texas' most liberal local leaders was met with silence by the governor. Texas needs a unifying plan of definitive and clear rules which can only come from a governor. Local government, especially liberal socialist-leaning leaders, should not be making incredibly important decisions on how to stop the virus, therefore shutting down the economy and creating a hodgepodge of rules that propagate nothing more than anxiety and confusion. Fear of the virus it's real, it's understandable, but being employed and financially destitute is also a very real and very consequential outcome. Most Texans live by each paycheck and are angry and panicked about their financial security. The unintended consequences of the devastation, the destruction of the Texas economy are almost unimaginable. Poverty, mental health issues, suicide, crime, just to name a few. Texas leaders deserve a thoughtful, independently functioning administrator, leader, who will weigh every risk equitably and accurately and always understanding that the role, the fundamental role of government, is about defending liberty. According to TxDOT, 3,600 people die in vehicle accidents annually and tens of thousands are injured. Does that mean we should uh, outlaw cars? shut down any automotive-related employment. Statistically, the risk of dying in a car accident is much higher than dying from the COVID-19 virus. However, the Texas government takes a balanced approach to weighing the risks and rewards associated with vehicle operation and chooses to equip citizens with every opportunity to drive safely while giving individuals liberty to choose their method of transportation. Why can we not have that same approach with regard to this virus? 
On March 19th, the governor said there was nothing specific in the executive order about churches because there is freedom of religion here in the U.S. Yet when local leaders like Judge Lena Hidalgo from Houston and Dallas Judge Clay Jenkins defied him and issued orders specifically closing down churches, Abbott said nothing. Huffines concludes that Abbott has not clearly communicated a plan. He relies on Washington for direction and lets local leaders walk in where his lack of leadership creates a void. Since he is a governor of a sovereign state, Mr. Abbott alone is accountable for destroying the Texas economy and its generational consequences. Hardworking Texans are smart and independent, and we know the solutions to our problems come from ourselves. We need a governor committed to those same truths. And as we talk about overreach by local governments, there were a couple of other uh, Texas-based instances of this that I wanted to share with you. One, there's a couple of towns just outside of Fort Worth, Burleson and Cleburne. I'm sure many of you know exactly where that is. They just announced that only one person from each household will be allowed outside the home to do essential stuff like shopping. Not sure how they're going to enforce that, I guess. Are they going to come and, you know, do a bed check at people's houses to see who many people are supposed to be there and how many people who are actually there. And, oop, there's four of you, but two of them are missing. Shame, shame, shame. So we got that going on. That's Burleson and Cleburne. Meanwhile, my friend Stacy Roberts out in West Texas, she posted on Facebook last night, Are you kidding me? Reeves County, which is out in West Texas, just announced on the radio that they were ordering everyone to wear masks. All Reeves County residents are supposed to wear masks while out for essentials. This is to include all essential workers. Now, I just looked up Reeves County to see, boy, if they're taking this action, they must have a pretty you know, significant amount of cases that they're dealing with. What I found from several different sources said zero cases from Reeves County, but everybody is required to wear masks. And again, I don't have a problem with wearing the mask. I'm getting ready to go out here later today. I will have my mask on. But do we really need all of these local governments coming in mandating the obvious? On to what some of our state reps are proposing when it comes to reopening Texas and moving forward. State Rep. Mike Lang, who is a Republican from Granbury, which is there, right there in that area of Blurlison and Cleburne, he has provided his own recommendations that if enacted could result in swifter, swifter return to normalcy for Texas. Things that he considers um, important to, to do can include removing the distinctions from essential and non-essential businesses and personnel. No prohibitions on public gatherings, including at religious services and public parks, and encourage voluntary adherence to CDC guidelines, i.e. wearing masks. Open restaurants, retail, gyms, salons, and similar businesses, and encourage the use of proper social distancing measures and protective equipment. Continue all waived regulations until the 87th Texas Legislative Session to be addressed by the legislature. Continue shelter-in-place recommendations for those over 65 and those with underlying medical conditions. All Texas school districts should maintain local control and decide through their independent school districts whether to reopen the remainder of the year or remain closed. What Reeves County out in West Texas does versus the Dallas ISD would seem 
likely to be two very different approaches, as it should be, and they need to have the latitude to take action as is warranted in their communities. The final point from Lang is to continue the state procurement and distribution of personal protection equipment as needed. Now, Senator Matt Krause, who is a Republican from Fort Worth, he sent Governor Abbott a similar list of recommendations, although his seventh and final point was different. With that, Krause said we need to continue prevalence of testing. This might be the most important aspect. The more we test, especially for antibodies and immunity, the better we can adapt to certain situations. Because that's, that brings up another important point. Whatever the courses that we choose, whatever is outlined by Governor Abbott on Friday, whatever, when it's all said and done, is the course that we start out with on May 1st or May 15th or whatever date it is, that's not set in stone. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. That whole plan will be subject to change, as will any guidelines from the federal government. The media, of course, the left, they'll say, oh, Trump, the governors, they're flip-flopping. No, they're just negotiating a difficult situation, a fluid situation. And as they get more information, as they see the consequences, as things move forward, new developments arise, new information emerges, and you make new decisions, new calculations based on that information. These both In both of these state reps' proposals, they're very similar. They have a few differences, but nonetheless, they are very common sense type actions. And one of the things I so value about them is that they are also featuring strong components of personal responsibility. Because as we said before, governor, governments cannot get rid of a virus. We, the people, we're the ones that can make that bad boy go away. We're doing a good job so far. We can't let up on that. And these type plans hopefully will motivate us to even stay more vigilant in continuing to tamp down that curve and get ourselves back to a healthy place. Now, one other thing that I really appreciate is from uh, Representative Tony Tenderholt and this is something that is so important, and this is something that has got to be part of the discussion when we talk about Texas reopening, and it should be part of the discussion with any state's reopening, and that's that spending must slow. Government spending must slow 
or else this crisis will lead to another. Tenderholtz talks about how the current Texas budget operates on the assumption that oil will be sold at 50 to 60 dollars per range, uh, range per barrel through next year. Right now, oil prices are hovering in the mid-20s and even went down as low as $19 per barrel last week. Though there is crossover, the oil and gas issue is largely a separate crisis from the corona catastrophe. But the significant hit our economy is taking will not normalize in May, even if our economy reopens. It's going to take time. And each day that the economy underperforms indicates a larger shortfall for the 2021 legislative session that will convene next January. This is not just a problem for the state. Local governments, listen up. In your local governments, they're facing the same issue. They don't rely as heavily in many areas on oil and gas tax revenue, but property tax receipts are critical for our schools and our local government. That's their major source of funding. There's no doubt that properties are about to see a decline in value. A help for taxpayers who are already paying entirely too much in property taxes, but a problem for governments who budgeted under the presumption that property taxes would most likely increase, and therefore so would their revenues. At a time when the average American is evaluating his personal budget for any unnecessary spending, so should the governments of Texas. In an effort to promote public health, many governments are closing down businesses they do not deem essential. Unsurprisingly, we've yet to see more than a handful of wasteful government programs or employees cease due to their non-essential nature. This double standard is worrisome, and it's a recipe for a budget disaster in the very near future. Core functions of government, infrastructure, public safety, public education, don't need to, nor should they take a hit through this hard time. But the only way we can ensure the money is there for the most important programs is to immediately begin slowing the rate of spending on other fronts. Tenderholt says that she will not support any form of tax increase and that this is the time we prevent that discussion from ever taking hold. Could not agree with her more and hope that my local rep and your local rep will share this, that this is not a time for tax increase and our efforts need to be spent on looking for ways that we can actually cut government so that we, like the average American family who's having to tighten their belt, this is the time where government needs to do it as well. We've had that. We've said that so many times. It sounds lame to a degree. But with this virus going on, with tax dollars not going to be flowing in for a period of time as they could be, and I mean we could be talking years, it's time for government to tighten its belt too. Tenderholt says the good news is that we still have time. She looks forward to working with state and local officials to find unessential government spending, of which there is plenty, and to ensure that we take the same prudent steps elected officials are encouraging our constituents and neighbors across Texas to take. So that's kind of where we are. We're in a little bit of a to-be-determined mode, but in the next 48 hours or so, it sounds like we're going to be getting some new information on what's ahead for Texas. It's scary that we're opening ourselves up to go out and maybe be more face-to-face with this virus, but it's also kind of exciting because, as we said, the harm of staying shut down, our economy staying just on hold, 
permanently frozen is not tenable. So the future, things are going to be looking different in these next few weeks. And let's let's be optimistic about it. And meanwhile, exercise our own personal responsibility to ensure that that we're doing everything from an individual capacity to help mitigate this virus. We're going to talk a little bit about China and the media in our final segment. We'll return here shortly. I'm Lou Ann Anderson. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast. See you on the other side. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters, Political Pursuits, the podcast, Lou Ann Anderson here. Check us out on Facebook at Political P-Suits. Same for Twitter. Our handle is Political P-Suits. Also, email me. You got something to say? PoliticalPursuitsPod at gmail.com. Don't forget that we are on most of the major podcasting platforms. That includes Apple, Spotify, and Google, along with Deezer, CastBox, Podcast Addict, and Podchaser. It's not hard to find Political Pursuits, the podcast. Hope you will continue listening, and please share us, share about us with your friends and your family. Okay, there's been an interesting story circulating around in the media over the last couple of days, and it's about how uh, NPR came out with this. The Bloomberg News killed an investigation, fired a reporter, and then sought to silence his wife. What could make a business go and take such dramatic steps. Hmm, how about their friendship with China? Yes, this is just one more. This is like reason number 14,378, reason why, thank God, Mike, mini Mike Bloomberg is no longer running for president. The NPR article starts saying that uh, Bloomberg's short-lived presidential bid reignited a long-simmering dispute over the widespread use of non-disclosure agreements at American corporations, especially Mr. Bloomberg's own. His namesake company, Bloomberg LP, has used non-disclosure agreements broadly to conceal allegations and silent complaints from employees of um, regarding sexual harassment claims, hostile workforce environment claims. But the story of one Bloomberg reporter and his wife showcases the widespread use of such legal restraints at the company and just how far their reach can extend. This is quite a story. Six years ago, understand, Bloomberg News, they killed an investigation into wealth of the Communist Party elites in China, they were fearful of repercussions by the Chinese government, you think? 
The company successfully silenced the reporters involved, and it sought to keep the spouse of one of the reporters quiet as well. This uh, spouse of the reporter, Lita Hong Fincher, she told NPR, they assumed that because I was the wife of their employee, I was the wife. I was just an appendage of their employee. I wasn't a human being. Fincher is married to the journalist Mike Forsyth, who was a former Beijing correspondent for Bloomberg News, who now works at the New York Times. Back in 2012, Forsyth was part of a Bloomberg team behind an award-winning investigation into the accumulation of wealth by China's ruling classes. Now, the Chinese ambassador warned Bloomberg executives against publishing the investigation. Bloomberg News published the story anyway. Good for them. Afterward, Forsyth received what he and Fincher considered death threats relayed through other journalists. And mind you, they were living in Beijing at the time. Because of this, he and Fincher moved their family to Hong Kong, believing it would be safer. Even so, the reporting team pursued the next chapter of this story. They weren't finished. And at this point, they were focusing on China's Chinese leaders' ties to the country's richest man, a man named Wang Jianling. Among those in the reporter's sights, the family of the new Chinese president, Xi Jinping. The story gained steam throughout 2013. Emails sent back and forth to Bloomberg's journalists in China, seen by Fincher, senior news editors in New York City, were expressing excitement. They were urging these guys on. And then all of a sudden, radio silence hit, and that story never ran. Fincher, the wife, she says, Mike and some of the other reporters and editors who had been working on this story were just asking for answers about why was this story killed. Finally, in October 2013, Bloomberg's famously intense founding editor-in-chief, Matthew Winkler, weighed in via a private conference call. In attendance, senior news executives in New York and the China-based investigative team, which included Forsyth. NPR was able to obtain an audio of Winkler's remarks on the call. Remember, Winkler is the editor-in-chief, the founding editor-in-chief. Winkler said, quote, it is for sure going to, you know, invite the Communist Party to, you know, completely shut us down and kick us out of the country. So I just don't see that as a story that is justified. He went on and he expressed great apprehension because of the political consequences of publishing another investigation. In this case, it was one that would itemize the links between top Chinese Communist Party leaders and the country's wealthiest man. Winkler kept returning during this conference call to those fears. Quote, the inference is going to be interpreted by the government there as we are judging them, and they will probably kick us out of the country. They'll probably shut us down, is my guess. He went on and suggested that reporters find a uniquely Bloomberg way to cover the wealth of the Chinese ruling elites. But he added caution with regard to covering the regime. Another quote here. It has to be done with a strategic framework and a tactical method that is smart enough to allow us to continue and not run afoul of the Nazis who are in front of us and behind us everywhere. And that's who they are, and we should have no illusions about it. This as per the audio 
that NPR was able to secure. At the time, two Bloomberg editors told NPR that the story didn't run because it needed additional reporting. Winkler kind of held up to that same thing. But these audio recordings reveal otherwise, and they also show how the newsroom um, brass was worried about losing their lucrative China business. After the first investigative product project ran in 2012, the Chinese authorities had searched Bloomberg's news bureaus, delayed visas for reporters, and ordered state-owned companies not to sign new leases for Bloomberg's primary product, its terminals. Remember these terminals, they're a, they're a basis for Bloomberg's personal fortune, which has recently been estimated at more than $50 billion, making them one of the richest people in the world. Subscribers pay $20,000 annually for each terminal, which provides specialized financial data and analysis. So, if Bloomberg makes its money on terminals, it gains prestige and greater name recognition from its news divisions. Many of its stories, predominantly on business and finance, conveniently, not surprisingly, first appear on the terminals. At the time the story was being pursued, China was seen as a growing market and a strategic priority, according to three different Bloomberg executives. Winkler even alluded to that in his remarks. He said, there's a way to use the information you have in such a way that enables us to report, but not kill ourselves in the process and wipe out everything we've tried to build there. So, as this debate played out inside the Bloomberg newsroom, Michael Bloomberg was still mayor of New York. Yeah, he had did, theoretically had relinquished control of the company, but in reality, there's former executives that say that Bloomberg was in frequent contact and shared very openly his aspirations for growth in China. At a press conference after the New York Times first wrote about the internal fight over the, the decision not to publish this, Bloomberg denied the story had been killed. He said at one of his city hall press conferences, nobody thinks we are wusses and not willing to stand up and write stories that are of interest to the public and that are factually correct. You know, that nobody's probably a stretch. Two months after the, those remarks, Bloomberg's term as mayor ended and he returned to the company he founded. In January 2014, Bloomberg held a town hall for his global newsroom. NPR also obtained portions of that audio. Ask about the China controversy, Bloomberg sounded a new note. He said at this point, if a, if a country gives you the license to do something with certain restrictions, you have two choices. You either accept the license and do it that way, or you don't do business there. Bloomberg said that the newsroom should be proud of its coverage of China, and he also said that, yeah, there were a few bad apples at any large institution. Some journalists at Bloomberg's News took that to be aimed at the China team, you think? Later than that month, Bloomberg LP board chairman Peter Grau told Asia Society's Hong Kong chapter that the company had about 50 journalism, journalists in China primarily to write about local business and economic environment there. Every once in a while, we wander a little bit away from that and write stories that we probably uh, should have rethought. Now, in late 2013, after all this kerfuffle was going on, Bloomberg suspended Foresight, accusing him of leaking word of the controversy to other news outlets. 
Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN. Ah, feel the woe with Listerine at BJ's. You can save $2.50 now on Listerine products like Total Care Anti-Cavity Fluoride Fresh Mint Mouthwash or Cool Mint Pocket Packs Fresh Breath Strips at your nearest BJ's location. Experience the feeling of a million germs zapped in seconds with Listerine. Discount available through December 24th. Save now only at BJ's. The company would later fire him, and he ended up going to work for, not surprisingly, the New York Times. Forsyth decided to be um, declined to be co- to comment for this story from NPR, and in leaving the company, he signed a non-disclosure agreement that bars him from speaking publicly about his time at Bloomberg News. Others from the China investigative team would leave the company in the years that followed, each having first signed an agreement not to disparage the company. In at least one case, a, journalism, a journalist signed the NDA deal in part to prevent the loss of a month's pay. Now, even after this happened, lawyers continued to pressure Forsyth's wife, Fincher, to sign a, an agreement. They threatened to force Forsyth and Fincher to pay back tens of thousands of dollars spent to move their family to Hong Kong after the death threats. Bloomberg also threatened to sue to make the couple pay the company's legal cost, pushing the dollar amount well into the six figures. Fincher says, There was no reason why I should sign a non-disclosure agreement because I didn't possess any damaging material about the company. NPR reached out to the general counsel of a rival media company, a top executive who has overseen contracts at two major television networks and also a legal workplace attorney to determine whether they had ever heard of a company demanding a non-disclosure agreement from a spouse of an employee. Each individual said no, that was not standard operating procedure. Fincher recalls being summoned to the high-rise offices of Bloomberg's Hong Kong legal team. Her husband was there too with his own lawyers. She recalls staring at a giant projection of Bloomberg's outside counsel from New York on a video screen. He rejected her assurances that she did not pose any threat, demanding a formal non-disclosure agreement by asking, what about all the evidence that's in her head? Fincher, former correspondent for CNBC and Voice of America, at the time, She was finishing up her doctorate at a Chinese university, and she bristled at what the company's lawyers were suggesting. They assumed that my husband would be able to silence me. He didn't want to do that. That's not the kind of relationship we have. Fincher told NPR that she walked out of the conference room, took the elevator to the lobby, left the building, and never returned, but Bloomberg LP continued to press her. Last month, a Bloomberg corporate spokeswoman told the New York Times, as they were reporting on this, that Forsyth stole Bloomberg LP intellectual property and gave it to his wife. 
The spokeswoman also said that Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg News never pressured anyone to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Legal documents reviewed by NPR contradict that claim showing Bloomberg's muscular efforts to obtain a non-disclosure contract from Fincher. In letters to Fincher's Hong Kong lawyers, Bloomberg LP's attorneys insisted that she sign an agreement that includes, among other items, a promise she would never criticize the company or its officers. Bloomberg's lawyers also explicitly stated they reserved the right to sue her in court. Fincher ultimately ended up hiring a pair of elite Hong Kong lawyers who had previously represented the famous American whistleblower, Edward Snowden. Bloomberg LP finally relented and let it go. More than a year later, the Times published Forsyth's expose about billionaire Wang Jianlin and the close relatives of Chinese President Xi Jinping. Several people who know Forsyth, including Fincher, said that it took long to publish because he had to painstakingly re-report the elements of the story he had previously documented with the Bloomberg team. Otherwise, they would have said once again, Bloomberg would have said he was stealing intellectual property. Fincher wrote about the incident recently for The Intercept, and um, this all came about after the non-disclosure agreements at Bloomberg LP became a point of contention in the Democratic debates back in February. Bloomberg's brief candidacy at that never really recovered. He pledged to release three women from who complained about his own conduct at the company from contractual requirements that they not speak publicly, but that doesn't mean there weren't plenty of others that were still under those agreements. Fincher asked her own lingering question. What else at Bloomberg News is being hidden if such contracts exist that require such secrecy? And Bloomberg, they are, uh, they're kind of growing as, a, as an organization, as a, as a media outlet that I think is interesting to be watching. Came across this article the other day. Um, it's a Bloomberg piece that is hyped malaria pill doesn't help clear coronavirus and study. This is just yesterday on Bloomberg. Hydrochloroquine, the 65-year-old malaria drug that President Donald Trump has praised, appeared not to help patients get rid of the pathogen in a small study. So this is Bloomberg's story. Napped, never mind, don't pay any attention, nothing here, it doesn't work. The pill didn't help patients clear the virus better than standard care and was much more likely to cause side effects. Now, remember, Bloomberg, China is a very important piece in their, in their overall business strategy. So the pill didn't help patients clear the virus better than standard care and was much more likely to cause side effects. And who was this by? According to a study of 150 hospitalized patients by doctors at 16 centers in, you guessed it, China. And the research hasn't been peer-reviewed when it was released on Tuesday. So there we are with, once again, seeing... Bloomberg happily, seemingly anyway, defer to the Chinese government. And so that's Bloomberg. But is Bloomberg the only American media company that is acquiescing to the Chinese? Not at all. 
Larry O'Connor, who is a radio host, uh, I believe on WMAL in D.C., he writes a great column for Town Hall, and this one really kind of caught my interest this week in the aftermath of this Bloomberg story. He's talking about how that, you know, American mainstream media outlets have undoubtedly been parroting communist propaganda talking points that are coming from the disinformation ministers in Beijing. That at first glance, it would be easy to write off this disturbing surrender as advanced stages of Trump derangement syndrome. It would be reasonable to suspect that reporters, producers, anchors, and editors held such an intense zeal to oppose and resist and damage President Trump that they'd even stoop so low as to hand their bylines over to propagandists supporting the totalitarian murders at the top of the Red China food chain. But a closer look, something even more disconcerting is going on here. He references his buddy Jim Garrity over at National Review having assembled a disturbing and thorough timeline of the CCP government's complicity in the spread of the virus. He goes on, they talk about that the story of the virus is still being written, but at the early date we can see all kinds of movements where different decisions could have lessened the severity of the outbreak we are currently enduring. And so... This is some good reporting, but O'Connor asks, this is fantastic work by Jim, but why is he the one who put this together? Jim's one of the best, don't get me wrong, but he, like many other of us, works for a scrappy media outlet with limited resources. I mean, there are huge media companies in this country covering this story who have resources and reporters all around the world at their fingertips to assemble this data. Why didn't NBC News do the reporting, or ABC, or CNN? Garrity posted a tweet which kind of uh, reminds you of why that would be the case. This is the kind of journalism I can create, referring to his timeline, because I don't have to worry about a parent company's access to the China market. He's absolutely right, and let's take a look at that a little bit more so. Every single major broadcast and cable news outlet covering the virus has a direct and critical interest in pleasing the communist regime in China. All of them. To understand this critically important connection between these outlets and the Chinese government, you need to understand the power of the Chinese market when it comes to, for instance, the film industry. It's not breaking news that the Chinese market is the single most important region for growth and revenue in Hollywood. It's been that way for the last few years. The profitability for many films these days is almost entirely dependent on ticket sales in China. A major film that doesn't sell in China is a problem for the studio. Films are only allowed to be shown in China if the communists in Beijing give it permission. That's the beauty of a totalitarian communist state. Nobody in the country sees Avengers Endgame unless the authoritarians are accommodated. This directly is affecting how Hollywood is making its movies. A lot has been written about the glowing influ influence of Chinese censors on the product coming out of Hollywood. Conservative and liberal news outlets have lamented on this trend. The influence of Chinese censors is often depicted in amusing anecdotes like this NPR feature explaining how a Tom Cruise blockbuster was modified to assuage the communist propagandist. This is what NPR says. Consider Mission Impossible 3, 
which was partially shot in Shanghai. The film's establishing shot of Shanghai shows Tom Cruise walking past the winking lights of the modern cityscape and then past underwear hanging from a clothesline. The movie was released in 2006. Even now, many people in Shanghai don't own dryers and hang their clothes out on the balcony to dry. But, according to T.J. Green, CEO of Apex Entertainment, which owns and builds movie theaters in China, the censors, the Chinese censors, felt it didn't portray Shanghai in a positive light. So what happened? Of course, the scene was removed from the movie. He goes on and he says, The censorship always goes back to the Communist Party. They're in charge, and they're always looking at how China is portrayed. They didn't want to see something that portrayed it as, you know, a developing country. This brings up an important larger point. Do we really think this influence ends with how the next Mission Impossible film depicts China's, China and the Chinese government? I doubt it. I think the more important point is that maintaining entree into the Chinese market also influences other areas, not just the film companies, but also how news is reported on China. Consider this. CBS News is part of a conglomerate of media and entertainment companies called National Amusements. The companies under their control include Viacom and Paramount Pictures, movie companies. NBC News, MSNBC, is a part of Universal and Comcast, another movie production company. CNN is a part of AT&T, Time Warner, which owns Warner Brothers. You see the pattern. ABC News is owned by Disney, which owns, well, pretty much everything else coming out of Hollywood. Beyond the direct concerns of the film producing and distribution arms of these major corporations, they have other direct interests in not ticking off the Beijing communists. Also, let's not forget, these companies have theme parks, cell phone networks, cable networks, movie theaters, and much more. All of their movies and the theme parks, what do they do? They sell toys and clothing, which are manufactured in China. Cell phones and infrastructure equipment are manufactured in China. Cable boxes and broadband devices are manufactured where, you guessed it, China. Angering the Chinese government, it's simply bad for business. Okay, are we to believe that the CEOs of these companies pick up the phone and direct how stories are to be reported? No, it's not that blatant. But... Do you not think that these companies aren't aware that their product is viewed, scrutinized, judged by the Chinese government? And, I mean, after all, there is a well-documented history of certain accommodations being made to placate the Beijing propagandists, and that is an incredibly naive approach. Would journalists, producers, and network executives bow to the will of the Chinese government and how they report on the facts surrounding the virus pandemic, I mean, wouldn't their journalistic integrity and liberal ideals went out over these crass commercial considerations? They are our betters, after all. They are professional journalists with progressive ideals. The truth will always win out over powerful pressure from the well-connected, well-funded corporation, right? Eh, maybe not so much. Um, 
let's think about this. If anybody saw the Bohemian Rhapsody, which was the Freddie Mercury biopic, if anybody knows anything about Freddie Mercury, he was openly gay. He was very flamboyant in his life, and his being gay was a huge component of his image, his music, everything. But if you happen to see Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie of his life, in China, you would never have known the lead singer of Queen was gay. The Beijing censors erased any reference to his sexuality, even though it was one of the most important themes of the film because it was an important theme that guided his life. Rocket Man, the story of Elton John was the same thing. At the very end of Rocket Man, if you saw that, there was um, kind of some little what happened to them. And when it came to Elton John, there was a picture of he and his partner, who he's been together with for several decades now, and they have two children that they have adopted. There was a picture of the four of them, a family shot. And it, there was some text that identified this as such. If you saw that film in, in China, you would not have seen that shot. It was taken out. So we've had a case of progressive artists who make films, but they don't stand behind their principles and integrity by demanding that the films shouldn't be touched. They're not going to pull the film from the Chinese market, insisting their work be seen untouched by communist censors. So in the end, how does this work? Well, Bohemian Rhapsody grossed a paltry $14 million in China for its studio, ABC News. No, 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 wait a minute. Not ABC News. That's right. It's Disney 20th Century Fox is what we call the film side of ABC News' operation. But acquiescing to communist Beijing still did pay off for Disney and its affiliated uh, companies. The year that film was released, Shanghai Disney had an attendance of $11.8 million its best year yet. So I guess from that we can draw the conclusion that placating the Chinese Communist Party does pay. And with that, we're going to wrap for today. This is Political Pursuits, the podcast. I'm Lou Ann Anderson. Thank you for joining us here today. As you go through the next few days, please remember, stay safe, stay well. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're starting to see it, so keep your eyes open. Liberty Tabletop is America's flatware company, the only flatware that's manufactured in the U.S. of A. There are over 38 patterns to choose from. Like a couple of patterns and you can't decide, you can order a sample of each. And check out their website at libertytabletop.com and enter the promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. Just in time for you to freshen up your holiday table setting with Liberty Tabletop Flatware, manufactured in the United States. They make great wedding and Christmas gifts, too. Flatware that can be passed down for generations. So check out their website at LibertyTabletop.com and enter promo code BEN for 15% off all flatware. LibertyTabletop.com, promo code BEN.